<laughs> well, good morning. morning. It's great to see you on this bright, sunshiny day here in Tucson. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so uh, we begin this uh, new series, This Is Us, this morning. And it's so good to uh, have uh, all of you here, whether you've been a part of this church for a long, long time, or whether you're uh, new or brand new, uh, great to have you. Um, and uh, the thing about this series that's uh, kind of unique is, uh, in many ways, this is a series that's uh, more uniquely a look at us. So when we, th- when we talk about This Is Us, um, it's not to say that there aren't other churches like this on some of the things that we'll talk about, uh, but it's really looking at kind of a unique expression of what we think God is doing in and through us and has been doing uh, for a while. And to, uh, to set this morning up, um, I, I want to go back to the name of our church, which is interesting to me. Um, uh, Andy talked about this, was it two weeks ago that he talked about when uh, CASA started way back in 1962? And uh, back in 1962, uh, our name uh, was Casas Adobe's Southern Baptist Church. Um, you know, great big long name. Uh, our roots were Southern Baptist and kind of over the years... Uh, you know, you go through different iterations of uh, things and uh, the name kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter until now it's just Casas, you know? Um, and it's interesting that Casas is what stuck, right? Which of course uh, means house or home. And, and maybe the reason I think it uh, stuck um, is because it actually reflects something uh, that I believe uh, God is doing and has been about in our church for a very long time. Um, an illustration of this was uh, two weeks ago, um, I was back in the 10-minute party area over there talking to someone who was uh, new to Casas. Uh, she'd only been coming here since Christmas, and she had been away from church for a long, long time and really struggled to connect and stuff. And as she shared her story, she said this to me. She, got, she said, and when I found this place, it's like I found home, is what she said. And I feel like I'm home now. And, uh, and of course, she's describing this kind of spiritual home. And that story that I sh- just shared with you is not unique. I hear people describe this place that way constantly in uncanny ways. It's amazing how many of you when you first started coming to this church, in one way or another, the way you described it was like there was, it's like home. There was something about it uh, that was uh, like a home. Um, and, and part of what I think's uh, going on here is actually how God works through this particular church in a, in a way that is in some ways how a home works. And you know, when you think about a home, a home is more than just a building, right? It's more than just uh, the walls and the roof and the structure, but, it's, but a home is sort of that, right? And so when you think about a home, there's, there's uh, the tangible parts of the home, but there's also all of these intangibles that make a home a home. Uh, those intangible things, you know, it's, it's all the little things that happen. It's the human interactions that happen. It's, it's maybe how you decorate the inside of the home, but it's even beyond that, isn't it? It's, it's the interactions. It's the atmosphere that gets created. Uh, in a word, it's the environment. 
An environment captures the tangibles and the intangibles. And I think that there's something that God has been doing uh, through this church in just the environment that is somehow created, not just in here, not just in our campus, but even beyond that. But maybe in some ways it's, it's centered here in both the tangibles and the intangible uh, things uh, that happen. And when you think about home, there's something really powerful, isn't there? about home? For instance, let me ask you this question. Um, what, what is your favorite home that you've ever lived in? And over the course of your life, um, most of us in here probably lived in several, what we would say are several different homes, but just take a moment and think about what was your favorite home? Favorite home ever? Maybe you were there for a short time, maybe it was a home that you like spent many years in, grew up or raised a family there. Now let me ask you a question. You got it in your mind? What was it about that particular home that made it your favorite home? Probably wasn't the structure, although you may say, oh, it was a beautiful home. I, you know, it, it was a, a Tudor home, whatever a Tudor home is. I don't know what a Tudor home is. It was, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, um, maybe it probably wasn't just the size of it, although maybe it was the size that you liked, right? Probably when you think about what made it my favorite home, you probably start thinking about things like, um, I felt secure there. Or I knew I belonged there. Or that was the place that God did something really unique in my life. Maybe it was challenging, but that's, like it was in that home that somehow my trust or my faith in God grew. Or maybe it was in that home that it, it was the people that you were with at that point in time. And there was just something really special about the relational connection you had uh, with that group of people. Maybe, maybe it was when your family was uh, just starting out, or maybe it was just, you know, you and your spouse at that point, or whatever it was. There's probably a few tangibles, but a lot of it were those intangibles. And that's what makes an environment an environment. And here's why I bring all of this up this morning. It's because um, environments are really, really important around here. When you think about Casas Church, over the years, what God has done in and through us, um, we have come to see and understand environments and what we do with environments really matter because God has been working through us as a church uh, as us as an environment and understanding that becomes really important because and, and here's kind of the thing I'm going to drive to at the very end of my message uh, and it's this home isn't just a place it's an environment that you create let me say that again a uh, home isn't just a place but it's an environment that you create, that we create. And let me say this, let me, uh, I wanna maybe uh, talk about this in a little bit larger scale beyond just CASAS, but this idea of working through environments uh, isn't new with CASAS. In fact, I think when you look back at scripture, you see how God has used environments in a particular way that is really, really powerful. That, that what God is doing in this place, probably doing in other churches, probably not in every church out there, but he's sure doing it here. And there's something about it um, that, 
that is, it's like how God has operated, operated from the beginning of creation. In fact, I want to take a moment here and just go back to the Genesis account. If you have your Bibles, um, flip back to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at that in a minute. And I didn't get my sermon slides I, I got like the, some of the point slides ready, but I didn't get the verses ready. So this morning, you're going to have to use your Bibles, okay, if you want to actually read it, which is an okay thing. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you forgot your Bible, that's okay, okay, because uh, uh, I'll read it. But uh, let me say this, too, as you're flipping to Genesis 1. I was going to say something sarcastic, but I'm not going to do that because that's not the environment that I want to create here this morning. <laughs> okay? Um, a deep belief I have had going back uh, decades, a journey that God put me on, is really about looking at Genesis way beyond just uh, trying to look at Genesis as a scientific book uh, that is trying to predict how uh, long uh, the earth has been in existence or the exact sequence of what God created, how, and, and that Genesis is a book about laying really vital spiritual foundations that actually help us as we go to understand and read the rest of the Bible. That, that my conviction, that I'm always looking at Genesis for these foundational things. And to me, that's when Genesis really begins to just uh, ring with great and powerful truth. And I want to look at just one of those things that you see in Genesis chapter 1 here. So uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, it starts off, right? And it begins with this incredible creation narrative, like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it steps into these seven days of creation as God is now creating uh, the earth. And I want us to look at, at what uh, happens uh, with these days. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll get... We'll look at a few of these verses, but for time, I'm going to go through the, the first three days uh, here. So on the first day, I want you to think about this first day, right? Day one. And in day one, uh, the, the creation takes place through this, it, dis, this descriptive idea of, of God is separating things and creating an expanse. And you see this idea come out uh, here, in, especially in the first uh, three days, but actually through all of them. So this is day one. Okay? And he creates light. It says in the beginning, he created light. But then he begins to separate the light from darkness and creates this expanse. And what you see in day one, this expanse that God is creating, he's creating this incredible space. And it's like he's creating the universe here. Right? And it's this expanse between uh, light and dark. Right? Um, and then we get to... We get to uh, day two here. Um, and the next thing uh, that he does is he begins uh, separating. It talks about the waters or the deep. And they believed, uh, like uh, sometimes in Psalms, they'll talk about and the deep up above. And they saw, like they look up at the sky um, and see the blue sky. And, the, and many even believe that like we're all surrounded by water. And so it's this idea that God begins separating this. And what he separates, what he ends up creating in day two uh, through this, is he creates uh, the sea and he creates the sky okay that's day two and he separates the two so there's this, all the seas and then there's the sky and then we get to day three 
And again, he now separates the water, pools the water up so now that he uh, can uh, form the dry land. And so day three, he forms the land, it says. Uh, but then it also goes in and with the land there, he then creates all the vegetation, all the plants, okay? Um, and this is kind of how we would expect the first three days to go. You know, it's going right along. And most often we look at this and we think that, you know, and then comes day four, five, six, and it's just kind of creating these other things that just kind of get added onto this. But the, an interesting thing happens here. And if you look um, here, let me turn to Genesis chapter one. Um, look at the beginning of day four. Four, which starts in verse 14. Here's what he says. He says, and this is the beginning of day four. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, which is kind of interesting. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights uh, in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And, and what's happening here is he's creating the sun. He's creating, and he goes on, and we'll read it here in a second, where he's creating the sun uh, as a marker for days so that you can have days. But now here's what's interesting. We've already had three days. Um, uh, didn't God know you had to have the sun in order to have a day, right? Well, of course he did. Um, uh, uh, in ancient times, uh, they were very familiar. You look at uh, ancient literature. They fully understood you needed the sun in order to mark and have a day. And yet in the creation narrative, and sometimes you'll see scholars look at that and they're like, why, that's so weird. You know, the, the, the sun's not created until the fourth day. But here's the thing. There's something deeper going on here that God's trying to show us. It, it, it's not trying to, my belief, God's not trying to walk out like a science book, the exact sequence of what happened. He's trying to walk out a profound spiritual truth, okay? So look again at the rest of day four. Look at verse 16. It says this, uh, God made two great lights. This is day four. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars and God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So here's what God's done, right? Day four, right? He makes the sun and the moon and the stars. Where do the sun and the moon and the stars go? They go in the universe. And all of a sudden what you see out of the Genesis narrative here is this gorgeous thing where God is creating a place, an expanse. But it's not complete until he fills it. He creates this universe, this expanse that even today as human beings with the most powerful telescopes and spaceships and whatever we can do, we still can't find the end of this amazing expanse that we call the universe. And God fills it, right? Fills it with the sun, right? And the moon and the stars. And it's this beautiful picture. And then day Five comes along. And what does God create in day five? Look, uh, look with me. Look at uh, verse 20. And God said, let the water 
teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Um, so he goes on, and what does he create? He creates the fish and the birds. And where do the fish and the birds go? They go in the sea and the sky. And God is filling. I can spell birds. <laughs> um, he's... Uh, Talking and writing at the same time isn't necessarily my strength. I was like, that is the weirdest way to spell fish, Phil. <clears throat> but you knew what I meant, and you were so polite. You just, yes. Um, and then what does he create in uh, day six? He creates all the animals that walk on dry ground. And so where do they go, right? They go in everything that he created uh, in day three. And, you know, right, it's the end of this day that he creates uh, people. He creates Adam and Eve. He creates, uh, and, and it's beautiful the way it puts it in, in this poetic uh, poetry in, in Hebrew thought. Um, he, uh, and God created man, created man and man in God's image. In God's image, he created them. He created them male and female. And he rolls out this thing. And I'm not going to take the time to read it, but it is so gorgeous that from then on, there's this theme that comes out in two dominant things. I give this to you. He says to male and female that he's created in his image, I give this to you. I give this to you. It's yours to rule. You have dominion over this. I want to see what you will do with this amazing gift that I gave, gave you. And do you see how he's creating environments? He creates an expanse. He creates a place, and then he fills it with something. And he creates an expanse, you know, and he fills it with something. And it becomes this beautiful picture of God creating an environment and then gives that whole environment to humanity uh, in this picture. And what you see is this is how uh, God is working. An environment isn't just a space. It's what you fill it with. And God is so intentional about what he fills uh, uh, that space uh, with. And so you see this uh, starting in Genesis, right? This amazing thing of how God works through environments. And we're going to look at a moment uh, here why that is so important. But let me say this. Uh, it doesn't just end here. If you go and look throughout Scripture, what you see is again and again, God is creating space and then filling it. He's creating these environments. Uh, all you have to do is go to Genesis chapter 2, right? And the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 2, God creates the, uh, the most amazing garden, Right? And then he fills it. He fills it with Adam and Eve. And here's the beauty of it. It's like, what is, what is the purpose? What is this environment meant to do? And, and you see this with all of these environments. It's taking it to, back to this idea of God wanting to do something. Uh, in the garden, uh, it's this idea. It's not just like, hey, this is a great place to, to hang out, right? But you see this picture where God says uh, to Adam, I want you, I want you to work the garden. Not because, you know, okay, you're in trouble and, you know, or I don't feel like doing it. You, you know. It's this idea that I've been creating. I've been doing all of this stuff. 
I want humanity to join me because you are a reflection of me. There is something creative in you. Be a co-creator in the garden. And the garden becomes this picture of God creating an environment, filling it with human beings, where, where they get to live in relationship with God, right? There's this beautiful picture of the garden where it's like, it's like, you, like Adam and Eve just got like to walk with God, the way we would walk around this campus with one another. There's this, this communion with God that is like face to face. It is this amazing thing where things are the way they ought to be. And uh, you see this, uh, and, and again, this continues to roll out, right? Genesis 3, uh, there's uh, kind of this uh, wreck that takes place. Sin enters in the world, and it's a disaster at so many levels. But here's the question. How does God move forward? By continuing to create environments to work and bring his redemption into this world, right? He goes to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to be a part of bringing redemption into this world. And what does he do as he starts this relationship with Abraham? He says, and I want you to what? Go to the promised land. I've got a place, Abraham, and I want you to fill it. And this place is going to become symbolic, right, of the way I want to redeem and bless humanity. In fact, this idea that comes out in the story of Abraham is blessed to be a blessing to the world, that God is going to bring blessing to the entire world through him. And he does it by, I'm gonna create a space. And Abraham, I'm gonna fill you, uh, I'm gonna use you to fill that space and I'm gonna do something through this environment. You see this and it works out with, whether it's the tabernacle or the temple or when they come back to the promised land, you know, under Moses, when he brings the people back, it's like, we gotta get back to the promised land. Um, and it's a place filled with milk and honey, right? It's a great place. But it's not home until you fill it. Now, here's why I think this is so important, is because in so many ways, there's something about environments that become really, really powerful. And it's something that, again, carries on through Scripture. In fact, you see it with Jesus, right? Jesus comes to this world to redeem this world. Um, and, in fact, I want us to look at something real quick here. Turn uh, over to Matthew chapter 6, right? Because here's one example of how uh, Jesus uh, did this. Um, the disciples, uh, he's got this thing going on, the disciples and others about how to pray, and he goes through this whole lesson about prayer. This is Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 9. And I'm just going to start by reading the Lord's Prayer. Many of you uh, know this. Uh, and here's how Jesus says to pray, right? Uh, this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Get us out of here as quick as you can. <laughs> That's not what yours says? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why didn't he tell them to pray that? I mean, okay, now you're my follower. You're saved. You know me. This place is broken. This world has pain. This heaven's way better. Get me out of here, Jesus, right? Isn't that what we think we should be praying? That's not what Jesus says, right? What does he say? Look at, look at um, uh, verse uh, 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I love this part. On earth as it is in heaven. He's actually praying the opposite. What he's saying is, what I created all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2 is still the plan. 
It is to create an environment that is the kind of environment that, that human beings are supposed to be in and filling. Because there's something really powerful about environments. I think one of the reasons God uses environments uh, throughout Scripture, why he's doing what he's uh, doing here, why his plan when he gets to Jesus, it hasn't changed from what he was doing in Genesis 1 and 2, is because environments are powerful. The indirect power of environment, I promise you, is more powerful than the direct effort of our best willpower. Right? When we try to change something directly through direct effort, it's never as powerful as the indirect effect of being in and a part of an environment that is shaping and changing you. And if you're a school teacher, you know how true this is, right? Because you have experienced this. Every school teacher, right, has said these words. I know I've been in classes where school teachers have said this to me, right? It's make sure you do your homework, get to bed on time, don't be late, study for that test, take this seriously, right? School teachers, think of all the things you tell your students and they're so true and you wish they would do them and sometimes they do, but you know this, don't you? that no matter how many things you say, no matter how much you implore them, no matter how much you show them the benefits and the consequences to what you're teaching them and what they need to do, if that student goes home to an environment that is unsupportive, risky, insecure, filled with conditional love, you don't stand a chance, do you? Because they're gonna go into that environment and that environment will push and shape them and drive them in ways that they're not even aware of. But you know how strong it is. Because you also know what it's like, and maybe all of us do. What an environment is like when a student is even struggling over something, but they have a home a home that they're a part of filling, that is for them, that has unconditional love, that is there to encourage them, that is there to lift shame off of them, there to um, fill them with a vision of what they can really be. See, that, the power of that, that changes lives, see. Environments are powerful. Let me ask you this question. I ask you what your favorite home was. What's your favorite teacher? Who, who's your favorite teacher you've ever had? Think about it for a second. Who's your favorite teacher? Okay, got it? Now, let me ask you this question. What was it about that teacher that made that teacher your favorite teacher? Was it how smart they were? And you're like, oh, that was the smartest teacher I ever had. And that's why, that's why that, you know, he or she was my favorite teacher. Probably not. Um, I've got a hunch. I bet your favorite teacher created a dynamic where you felt accepted. I bet your favorite teacher created a dynamic where it was okay to miss an answer. I bet your favorite teacher created an environment that made you curious, 
made you want to learn? Ever have a teacher that you just found yourself, this teacher is tricking me into wanting to learn things, right? And you're just like, what's going on here? But see, there's something about uh, that environment. I bet it was a teacher that you found yourself laughing at moments, that you had fun. I bet it was a teacher that created an environment where you found things where, where your want to matter part of you, you just like it came out. You didn't have to work hard. There were just things that you're just like, I want to do better on this. And that's the power of environment. Um, I remember uh, in college, I uh, was uh, getting ready to sign up for my uh, next set of classes for the coming semester, and I needed a science credit. And the advisor that I was sitting down with, uh, he's like, so here's a class that will fit in your schedule, and it's physics. And I'm thinking, college physics? No, I do not want to take, I hate physics. I'm a Greek major. What, what do you see in me that looks like I would even do well in physics, okay? That physics is not my thing. Um, but he's like, but you have to have, you know, a science credit. Just take this. I actually had to have a couple of science credits in there. So I ended up taking this physics class. I, I went into the class with a little bit of trepidation. Um, got into the class uh, physics, and the professor was Dr. Packard. And I'll never forget, early in the class, he was explaining the, I don't know what it was, the, 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 the vectors and something else in uh, physics. But I remember he pulled out this homemade little roller coaster and he set it on the thing. And this is, you know, there's like three or 400 students in this class and I'm sitting there. And he pulls out a raw egg and he's like explaining all this stuff. And then he puts, he seat belts in a raw egg into a little miniature roller coaster. And he runs the little roller coaster down this thing. And he goes through this thing. And I found myself just like, here's a man who's brilliant. He was a genius. I mean, he really was a genius. And he is laughing and giggling about an egg on a roller coaster that he built. And I was like, I can connect with this man right here, right? Um, there, we had so much fun with this guy. Um, there, uh, we had a few students in the class that sat in the, in the front. And every time Dr. Packard would uh, turn his back and write something on the board, um, they would hold up, they'd take the back of their, uh, you know, their, their notebook and they would write like applause or hiss or yay. And so they'd go like this. And then everyone in the class would go sss or Yay! And he'd turn around and be like, eh. and instead of being the professor, just like, you're all being written up and you're out of my God. He started playing around with this and created this dynamic. And the next thing I knew, I was wanting to understand physics. I actually went to his office and started asking him questions about physics so I could get a better grade. I was just, and I was like, what happened to me? And it was because he created this atmosphere. He created this environment that, and it wasn't fair. He was so tricky. He tricked me into liking physics that semester, right? But he did it through creating this environment that pulled something out of me that I didn't even realize was there. And that's the power of environment, friends. And that's why I think God loves to create space and then fill it because he creates an environment and whatever and whoever he has filled that space with that environment with there is something really powerful shaping that environment becomes really important doesn't it it becomes really important um and you see this with christ christ comes along 
and he's constantly shaping environments. And he does it in all these different ways. He takes his disciples, he's got his followers, right? There's lots of times where he's teaching directly, but more often than not, it is how he is living out the environment, the space of whatever he hits in. It's what he's filling it with. Um, Jesus would see people uh, that were hurting, people that were blind, people that were hungry, and he had compassion on them. He always had time to stop and heal someone. He had time to stop and feed someone. And imagine his followers going along and what they're seeing is they're seeing a rabbi that is constantly saying, I'm creating an environment of compassion. I'm creating an environment that says people matter and that I care about them. I think about, uh, think about the time when Jesus is you know, going along and here's what he says to his disciples. So we're gonna go through Samaria, he says. Now, um, if you don't know this, Samaria, like ethnically, was different than the Jews and there was this animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews that was, I mean, it was every bit as contentious as, as the racial issues that we see in our our world today. And what Jesus says is, we're going to go right through the middle of Samaria. And Jews didn't do that. And the disciples are like, uh, we've never been down this road. Like, we weren't allowed to go down this road. When we were growing up, if, you know, we went from Galilee down to Jerusalem, we went around Samaria. And Jesus said, no, no, no. New environment. We're going to go through Samaria. And what he's saying, right, what he's filling that space with, he takes a journey. And on that journey, it becomes an environment that says, in my kingdom, right, who we are matters. And we're going to look past race. We're going to learn to love and accept people past all the racial tensions and the things that are going on. And he makes a powerful statement to his followers. And it's the environment that they're in. They literally walked through it because they literally walked through Samaria. Um, I think about this. You know, Jesus funded his ministry in a very uh, particular way that would have been very uncommon back in the first century um, for a rabbi. His ministry was primarily funded through a small group of women. Women funded Jesus's ministry. There could not have been too many rabbis that would have said, you know what? Um, here's a group of women and there's a place for them. They are a part of moving my kingdom forward. And he creates this environment whereby the environment itself lifts this, this sense of women playing a role in God's kingdom that in the first century was unheard of. And it becomes this beautiful thing. And there's this shift uh, that takes place. Um, he literally would eat in fellowship with sinners. He was known as a friend of sinners. And rabbis just didn't do this sort of thing. But Jesus did because he was constantly creating this kind of environment. And it shifted people and it changed people. And so I say all of this about environment and the importance of environment because getting back to where I started, this is us. We are a church that is seeking to change lives through cultivating environment. More than the things that we do through direct effort, it is through environments. And, I just, and I'll say this, through some uh, 20 plus years of being on staff here, and I don't know how many more years before that as a pastor, and in my own walk, I have watched people change I have watched people try to change and fail. And 
the indirect work of God through an environment that is rich with him does more to change a human life than anything I have ever seen. The indirect power of God to change a life is amazing. And it happens through environments, friends. And so here's the, let let me make this uh, statement here. Because when it comes to living out our mission, right? And we have this mission where we say, we want to help lead people that don't know God. We want to help lead people that feel disconnected from God, disconnected from the church. Maybe they, maybe they were a follower of Christ and, they, and they, didn't, you know, they don't know how to take the next step or whatever. And what we say is, we want, to be, we want to be this force to help them reconnect to God in a life-giving way. But here's how we live out that mission. Here's how we do it. Here's our unique expression in this world, and it's this. By cultivating Christ-centered environments that embody the heart and values of Jesus. When we do that in this room, when we do it in our homes, when we do it in our ABFs and our connect groups, when we do it after service and before service, when we create those kind of environments, friends, I promise you, we are changing lives in ways more direct than the most direct effort any of us would give, right? Just like that teacher that would say, hey, you know, do your homework, go to bed early, eat right, study for that test. Eh, okay, I don't feel like, right? I can say to people, trust God, God's real. Jesus is like, like filled with grace, right? I can tell him and tell him and tell him, just like you have. But you know what? I can tell people all about God's forgiveness and grace and the beauty of, of, of living out of your identity with Christ and people go, uh, I don't know. But I promise you, give them a short time to live in a community where people are actually exuding grace and mercy and compassion. And, and like they'll get it. They're drawn to it. And so one of the things that we seek to do around here is, uh, and, and, and right, there will always be an element of educating, but our primary goal, my primary goal is not to just educate, right? It's to actually help change a life. And we do that through environments. And it's through the tangibles and the intangibles. It's not just, uh, you know, we redid our room because we wanted it to be warm, right? Uh, we want to be a warm and welcoming church. We want the environment here to be warm and welcoming. And so the room reflects that. But the intangibles, what we fill this room with, that's what'll make it an, uh, a true spiritual home, friends. And you know what it's filled with? You. And so my challenge to all of us this morning who call this church our home, make it a home. Make it a home that just embodies the deepest values and beliefs and actions of Jesus Christ. Because when people experience that, that is an unstoppable force. What human being in this world isn't longing for unconditional grace? What human being in this world who knows that they make mistakes, isn't adding up to what they want, wants to go someplace where, where that's just pointed out and told to them, you know, why it's wrong. But what human being in this world isn't longing for a place where even in their worst days, they're still okay. Where even the things that they feel shame over don't keep them from saying, we still want you here. You still belong. We hear your story. Your story matters to us. See, 
That changes people. And you know what? It'll change you. It'll change you in ways that you've never expected. And so what our job in this is through that indirect effort of creating home, creating an environment. And, uh, and we'll talk about transformation in week three. We'll talk about faith, how we fill this place with faith next week. But maybe my challenge that I'd leave with you here today is ask yourself the question, how do I bring grace and compassion into this community every single week, every single day? How do I bring that into this place so that this is an environment oozing with the grace and compassion of Jesus Christ? Because if we did nothing more than just that, we'll change things. We're already changing things. We'll change more things. And that, that's always been the plan. That's always been the plan, friends. Why don't you stand? And I'm gonna close this here. And let me say this, if you're a guest here this morning, uh, it is so good to have you here. And I hope that you have experienced a warm and welcome reception as you came and were a part of this. And I'd like to extend that. Uh, um, I'm gonna be right over here in what's called uh, the living room area. And I would love it if you're a guest or visiting, uh, just make your way over there. And I just wanna shake your hand and just tell you welcome and that it was great to have you here this morning. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we uh, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the things that he modeled for us, the things that he embodied, for the environment that he created and then handed off to us. And may the embodiment of Christ and may his spirit live in and through us and in this church that we get to carry his dream, your dream forward. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. See you next week.